0: Good to see everybody. Uh, My cousin Chris is in the house tonight. This is Chris. This is the son of my mom's oldest sister and his wife, Andrea, and their little girl, Isabella. And that's my grandmother. Several of you have have met her, I think. That's Gigi. Um, Welcome. All right, well, we're going to be in Obadiah tonight, so turn to Obadiah. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Fun fact. Um, and uh, so I, we have this is our fourth minor prophet. We're doing them one one per week for nine weeks. And I think one advantage. Well, there's there's some disadvantages to doing it like this because you can't really you can't really hang out like in Hosea. I feel like deserves more than one week. You know. Its length, but also just its significance. Um, the disadvantage of doing it this way is you got to kind of go fast. Um, but the the advantage to doing it like this is you can see you can kind of trace the story, the 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 picture of of the prophetic word of God as it develops across those twelve minor prophets. Um, and doing them back to back, you can kind of see themes that get picked up in each one. Each one has a unique voice. It's kind of like the Gospels, right? Each one has a unique voice, a unique message, but there are also some similarities. There are some, some common threads that clearly God is trying to get through to Israel, Judah, and the nations surrounding them. So the advantage of doing it this way is you get the, you get the overarching picture. You kind of get to see what the whole collection of minor prophets is saying. And so tonight we're going to look at uh, what Obadiah adds to that picture that's being painted um, in this kind of the the final section of the Old Testament leading up to the the coming of of Jesus. Oh, quick announcement before we get next week. uh, The men's meeting, we're going to combine with the other CF churches and we're going to meet at Anchor Baptist, which is TCF's new home, at 8 o'clock. And uh, I'll send out more details, but um, show up if you're male. If you're female, I, I got nothing for you. Sorry. The women's retreat is is coming up. That's for you. When is that? April 14th. April 14th. Has everyone, has everyone saved that date? Has it been sent out? Did it ever get sent out? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Registration form coming soon. Yeah. All right, okay, so Obadiah. Um, Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dig in. Father, we love you and we come to you and ask that you would open your word to us. Lord, that you open our hearts. Thank you for speaking your word through your prophets. Thank you that they wrote it down. Lord, thank you that it has been preserved and it has been handed down to us and that we can uh, open this book and uh, know you better and draw closer to you. So Lord, I pray for the Holy Spirit uh, to anoint our time in this particular book tonight. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Obadiah is actually the 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 best suited book to the way that we're going through them. You know, if you're going to go through one book in one week, then I think the shortest book is, is going to be uh, the best for that. What I like about Obadiah and what, what I want us to kind of look at tonight is that it really zooms in. It's, just, it's short. It's not lengthy. It's, it's laser focused on one particular uh, nation bordering Israel. And it just zooms way in and says, this is what the Lord thinks about you. And at this point in time, this is his heart for you. And um, this is what he would say to you. It says, it just gets right to the point. You know, verse one, it says, the vision of Obadiah. Boop, that's it. No other preparatory words. The vision of Obadiah. That's all you need to know. All right. And it's focused on uh, the people of the nation of Edom which were the descendants of Esau. And so Obadiah zooms in to get really specific, um, but I think it's actually a great book to cover uh, some universal themes in Scripture. Okay, So there's four different layers that I want to look at in this book. And the first one would be Obadiah in the prophetic age. All right, what he brings to this kind of uh, these, the crashing waves on Israel that were the prophets in this period. Right? After the divided kingdom, God had started to have to raise up more and more prophets. And the, they were really the, the standard bearers for the word of God since the, the kingdom was in such shambles, especially in northern Israel, no good kings. Southern Israel, you had a few guys who had a heart after God. But God really has to work through and rely on the prophets at this point in time. And so there's a a layer to Obadiah that's for that particular time. And what God is doing in Israel at that time, he's judging Israel, he's judging Judah, and he's carrying them off into exile as part of his plan eventually to bring them back. Um, But this is a, a word for one particular neighbor who's watching all of what's going on in Israel and has a particular attitude toward it, right? And God says, I see you over there watching me as I work with my people over here, and I have some words for you, you know, not-so-innocent bystander. You also see here the story of, of Israel, all right? So we have the story of the prophetic age as a backdrop. We have the story of Israel as a backdrop. And this is where you get into going back to the, the beginning, right? These were the two sons of Isaac, Jacob and Esau, that we're talking about. These are the two primary characters in the story. And so we have all the way back to the patriarchs. So we can trace it back and see that part of the story in this, in this book but then you keep zooming out and you have the story of humanity in this book and you, don't, you can go all the way back not just to Jacob and Esau but to the original set of brothers which is Cain and Abel and you see how they treated one another particularly how Cain treated Abel and God's thoughts about that and that really is not just the story of Israel it's the story of all humankind of all humanity. So we see the particular history in here, but we see Israel's history in here, but we also see mankind's history addressed and mankind's universal issues addressed in this book. And then finally, you have to look at this through the lens of, of Jesus, the Messiah, the coming King. So those are the four uh, layers that, that I want to look at uh, tonight. <clears throat> We can pretty much work through the whole book. So let's just start in verse uh, one. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. By the way, uh, did, who watched the, uh, anybody watch the Bible Project video on this? They point out a really interesting tidbit, and that is the word Edom is, uh, you know, it's, it's almost a pun on the, on the word. It's the same uh, consonants as the word Adam, which is man, mankind. Edom and Adam uh, are kind of similar. So you can see the story of Edom really is the story of Adam. Uh, The descendants of Cain, the descendants of Adam, the the mankind in the flesh. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. And the, the book opens with just some some words of judgment against Edom. Just, this is from me, Yahweh, to you, Edom. Here's what I have to say to you. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock. So there's two backdrops to this book that are important. That is the, the history, which we'll get into in a little bit. That is... That these people are descendants of Esau. But there's also the geography here, and that's where they dwell. They dwell in kind of a hill country with a lot of natural defenses. And so they become proud, but they've also become kind of overly trusting, overly haughty in the fact that, you know, we live in kind of an impenetrable place. Physically, we live in a place where people, it's it's hard to, to touch us, right? The pride of your heart has deceived you you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart who will bring me down to the ground though you soar aloft like the eagle though your nest is set among the stars from there I will bring you down declares the Lord. It is a pretty straightforward message of God opposing the proud. Right? Mankind when they exalt themselves when they When they start to believe, just like in the Tower of Babel, that they can build themselves up and make a name for themselves, God says, all right, we're going to play it like that. I have to come and humble you. When mankind builds itself up, God has to act to humble them. If these came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed... Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Right, so they're kind of priding themselves on, you know, they're very... Lofty people, we live in this place, but they, he says, you know, you're not seeing yourselves correctly. You've become overly trusting in your natural defenses, and uh, you need to understand that you have not gained superiority over the people around you. In fact, you're very much at risk, much more than, than you look out and you say, oh yeah, we're doing pretty well. He says, you have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So exalting themselves, trusting in themselves. This is the the classic story of mankind apart from God. Independence leads to arrogance, and God has to move and say, no, I'm here. And those who oppose me, I have to move and I have to address that situation. I have to judge you and, and humble the proud. And then they, he switches to a particular grievance that he has against them. Right? And this is where we get into the relationship between Edom and Israel. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Right? He, could, he could have said because of the violence done to the neighboring nation, Israel. No, but he very specifically and very obviously says, your brother, Jacob, right? We're going, he throws us all the way back. You know, this isn't just a now problem, although it's manifesting itself now. This is, the root of this problem is way, way farther back than that. The violence done to your brother, Jacob, you should be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates, he says, as I was uh, basically using the, the Assyrians to judge uh, Israel and the Babylonians to judge Judah, he says, you stood aloof, and as the destruction that was decreed by me came upon Israel as I was dealing with Israel. They were standing aloof and they were gloating. It says, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. You know, this, this would be like the kid who's in trouble and the kid who's not in trouble laughing at the kid who's being disciplined. And then, well, that becomes its own situation, right? No, I'm dealing with this child here. Don't stand over there and laugh because then I have to come and address that too. This is not a time for you to laugh at your brother as he's being punished, right? Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth. Don't prey on their vulnerability at this point. Don't go in and uh, in, in one of the apocryphal books, it says that Esau actually came and they burned the tabernacle and they were sort of uh, working with the Babylonians, you know, trying to get in on the action. And they were actually the ones who came in and burned the, uh, the temple when, when Babylon came and raided Judah. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So you did this, you behaved yourselves like this toward Israel, and I saw that, I took note of that. And then he says, this is where we zoom out, he says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Edom, yes, I see what you particularly have done. I've noted that, and I'm going to address that. But listen, there is a day of the Lord that's approaching for all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. The house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble. And they shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. You see how he, he switches to saying Jacob and Esau. You know, there has to be a clear, there has to be a purpose for that. God is saying, yes, there, there are these issues that are presenting themselves now, but these are ancient issues. Right? They, they belong to the past, not just of the house of Israel, not just of Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau, but this is the problem with man, with all of mankind. This is the reason why I had to choose a people. Right? And we'll talk about that here in just a second. Keep reading. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephila shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. And then the final verse, Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's you have in in when on the day of the lord he'll put his king on zion and it's always this is this was always the, the prophetic word that the, that the king of all the earth the king of all the nations shall be enthroned in zion and no other mountain will be able to raise itself up against zion and so this is a great declaration of the coming of the kingdom But God is saying this to Edom after he has judged Judah and sent them into exile, right? So this is really a message of hope. He doesn't spend a lot of time on it because he's talking to Edom, but he says, here's the ultimate plan, right? The kingdom will be established and it will be established in Mount Zion. And it will be my my man on the throne, my king, the one after my heart. So, Obadiah in the, in the story of, of the Bible. In the prophetic age, the, the message to the nations over and over is that, hey, everybody, everybody if you can hear me around Israel, what's going on here, 100 percent concerns you. <laughs> this isn't just a small nation that's floundering through, and no. What I'm doing here in Israel, whenever God's addressing the nations, he says, yeah, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see your issues, but let me tell you, what I'm doing here in Israel concerns all nations. And there's a a constant temptation and a constant resistance that God has against the nations where they would become proud because of the judgment that he's bringing upon Israel. You know, he talks about, I, I use the Assyrians to wipe out Israel. I'm using the Babylonians, but that's just in, that's because I can do that. And I've chosen to, to raise you up to judge my people. But that has nothing to do with, you know, as soon as you're done with that, as soon as I'm done with you, I'm going to judge you for the reasons that you need to be judged. Last week, we looked at Amos. Amos is a very multinational prophecy. And, the, and he's talking to Israel about all the other nations. He says, hey, guess what, you guys? You're just like everybody else. All the problems that I have with these nations, all the problems that, that I see in them, well, those are all the same problems I see in you. And here it's kind of a, the, the, the reverse. He says, eat I see the problems that you have. Now, I'm dealing with these problems over here. But let me tell you, this work that's happening in Israel, you're going to want to pay attention to it. You're probably not going to want to laugh (laughs) as they undergo my judgment. Because the whole point here is to purify them, to to prepare the way for my king to come into the earth and be established on Mount Zion so that he can rule over all the nations of the earth. So within the story of the prophetic age, which is the story that the minor prophets are telling. This book tells us that yes, Israel is under judgment. Israel is not exhibiting, you know, her finest qualities at the moment. But God is playing the long game, and all the nations need to take note that God's not done. That all this is to to a purpose and it and it, it and it you will know on the day of the Lord where all of this was going, right? So the message to the nations in the minor prophets is that what I'm doing here is necessary and it concerns all nations. All right, so then the next layer out, the story of Israel. What is Obadiah telling us about the story of Israel? Well, I mean, Israel is Jacob and his brother was Esau. And Esau was first born. The problem that God has with Edom, pride and violence, those are the problems we see all through the relationship between Jacob and Esau, starting in Genesis 25. And any time that Edom and Israel come into contact with each other, you have this... You have this tension. You have this brotherly feud that goes back generations and generations. Jacob's not innocent. You know, Jacob was not innocent in all of that. Uh, The whole story of Jacob is about this. God, before he was born, said, I'm going to use the younger. I'm going to accomplish my purposes through the younger, even though the older is, you know, typically the way it happens. He says, I'm going to choose the younger. Rebecca was told Two nations are in your womb. The older shall serve the younger. And so God raises up. So Jacob, you know, grabs the heel and he deceives his way. And he comes to realize that it wasn't his conniving that won him the birthright. The birthright was his before he was born. Right? I mean, that's the whole story of Jacob. And then the story is of Esau having to come to terms with that. Right? <clears throat> Jacob's problem is, we know what Jacob's problem was. It's, it's what Israel's problem is right now. It's why they're in exile. Because they received the election, they became the elect people, but they didn't accomplish the purposes of their election. God said, I'm going to choose you, and you're going to be a light to the nations. You're going to show all the other nations how to live. But what happened was, Israel became like all the other nations, and there was no light to the nations. It was just the nations had much more of an effect on Israel than Israel had on the nations. So God said, "Well, all right. The problem to the the, the problem that we're addressing here is that mankind has gone astray from God. I'm going to choose a family. I'm going to use them to bless all the nations. And that was God's answer. That was God's rescue." raft to the nations, the people of Israel. But then they, what happens when the raft capsizes? Right? Then you have to get the raft back on board before you can then go send the raft on its way on its mission. And so God here is dealing with this capsized raft. <laughs> the tow truck has gone off into the ditch. You got to get the tow truck back on the road before the tow truck can actually go and get the semi-truck off the road. Right? Right? The rescue plan has gone astray. So God chose Jacob before he was born. Why did he do that? In establishing his people and choosing a people for his name, uh, because God knew the hearts of men, God needed to God needed to ensure. That there could be nothing in his people that they could say, "I did this. I'm chosen because of something I did." That's why he chosen before he was born, right? Uh, you look in. Uh, I think what God is is doing here when He chose Jacob is something that that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter one, and listen to this the resonances to the book of Obadiah. It might not be in your cross-references, but here the resonance is particularly um, when God is speaking his word against Edom in the first half of the book. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. See, I mean, God is coming against the supposed wisdom and power of of Edom. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, to oppose the proud, to level, to bring them down. This is how God humbles the proud. And so when he chose Jacob... It was part of his humbling of the pride of man. He said, no, we're not going to go with the firstborn. We're going to go with the younger. We're flipping things on their head right now. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Listen to this. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, verse 8, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding and your mighty men shall be dismayed? The wisdom of man, the power of man. God is shaming them. How is he doing it? Well, right now, he's taking Israel into exile. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. He said... Listen, all of this is part of a very long running plan. You will be humbled. You will be brought low as soon as I deal with my people over here. But we're going to get around to it. And the king is going to be in Mount Zion. So don't gloat over what's happening here in Israel. You know, the ultimate expression of this was when Jesus was on the cross. Oh, that's the fourth point. Sorry, let's not get there yet. Esau is also mentioned in Hebrews. We always have to stop by, you know, the significant New Testament mentions when we're talking about these people. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. If there were ever a root of bitterness, it was between Jacob and Esau. And it lasted generations and generations. A root of bitterness between two peoples. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Bitterness. Immorality. These are the things that lose you your birthright. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. All right, so that's what Obadiah, the kind of the insight it gives us into the story of Israel. Um, But now let's look at the insight that Obadiah gives us into the story of mankind going back before Israel, going back before the family of God and the the two brothers in in Rebekah's womb. Edom, Adam, you know, there's a parallel. The sons of Adam were Cain and Abel, a set of brothers who uh, came to violence. Cain became really the father of, he continued the seed of the serpent. You know, his, it was his lineage that began to build cities and call them after the name of human beings. It was, it was the people of Cain. Let's go to Genesis uh, 4. We'll just look at it. It was the descendants of Cain who brought violence into the earth. Uh, uh, Genesis 4, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Uh, we don't have time to get into <laughs> I want to stop everywhere and, and, and dig into the story, but I, I just need to get to the point. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is just one generation after Adam. We have murder. Not only murder, we have murder of a relative, murder of a brother, violence against a brother. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. It was the blood that Abel spilled that was crying up to the Lord from the ground. Cain's generations go on. And we get to Genesis 6. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. Uh, Verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The problem was, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Violence that began with a brother killing his brother. Violence that continued down through the generations, and violence that eventually became so great that God had to destroy everything that didn't fit in the ark because of brotherly violence, right? So you think that Obadiah strikes a chord, right? We're talking about brotherly violence, which is a major, major theme in all of the Bible. It was violence that caused God to regret making mankind. And this was the violence that Cain ushered into the earth. But then we get to the story of Jesus, the Messiah. What does does Obadiah tell us in in that story? Well, it really gives us one verse, one verse that looks to the future. Maybe maybe not one, more than one. Um, the last verse of the book, but when it turns in in verse 15, it says, the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. God is going to move and decisively judge all of the wickedness and the violence, not just in Edom, but in all the nations. But how did he do that? How did he judge all the violence? the, the, The short of it is that all of the, the violence that mankind, all of the brotherly hatred, all the brotherly violence that came into the earth, it all fell upon Jesus. He came into the earth and, and took on himself all the malice, all of the hatred. Right? The way that God moved to decisively judge, and this is, this is how he chose to do it, by becoming weak by becoming powerless, right? When Jesus came in, it was a day of judgment. But the nations had no idea, the sinfulness of man had no idea what they were doing to Jesus when they were heaping, I mean, it's, it was a violent death. And it was bloody. There was violence and blood all around Jesus in his crucifixion. Scripture goes out of its way to tell us how violent it was. It was the worst kind of death. And God says, this is what mankind has become. And this is what was laid on Jesus. That's how God chose to oppose the proud. By allowing pride to do its worst. He chose to oppose and condemn violence by allowing violence to do its worst on him. And this is, this is right in line with the way that he does things, right? God chooses what is weak and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. God does it in, a, in an upside-down way. And that's what Israel never really understood. That's why they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They didn't understand that the way that God was going to extend his dominion into the earth was by laying down his life, was by using blessing to serve. And that's the part of the blessing, that's the part of the election that Israel never really understood. That we were called to be a a nation a kingdom of priests to help the nations atone for their sins. Right? But that's, they, 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 time and time again, in times of prosperity, which is, you know, what we've talked about a lot in the minor prophets, in times of prosperity, their, their heart becomes lifted up. And they start to see the blessing and they go, I mean, this is what God knew all the way back in Deuteronomy, that you're going to go into the land and nations are going to flee from before you and you're going to go, oh, we're pretty pretty wise. We're pretty powerful. And God says, no, (laughs) my hand did this. And so he keeps having to reveal his hand, right, until ultimately Jesus takes on flesh and becomes... Israel and he 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 enacts and and accomplishes everything that Israel was always supposed to accomplish. He becomes the true Israelite, but in that he becomes the true man. And because of that, he sits on the throne That is the man that God wants on the throne. The man who doesn't use power, the man who doesn't use wisdom to lord it over the nations, to elevate himself. This is the Messiah. This is what was hidden for ages but has now been revealed. But it's not the end of the story because Jesus died and Jesus rose and Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and Jesus is coming again. And he has died. He's not coming again to die. He's coming again to judge the proud and the violent. In Revelation 11 After the seventh angel blows his trumpet, verse 15, it says, And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. Right? What does that say? What does Obadiah say? Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. And at this declaration, it says, the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, who was, For you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. This is the one who laid down power, is now taking up power and beginning to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Destroying the canes of the earth, destroying the edoms of the earth. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So, Obadiah zooms way in, real short, little sliver, but man, it's all packed. Right in there. Somehow, when we get to this little tiny book in the sequence of minor prophets, as we're zooming in, somehow we're able to zoom out to the, to the purposes of God. All the way from, from the beginning to the end. They're all somehow packed in this little tiny book. So I love Obadiah. It's a great little microcosm of the purposes of God how he has chosen a people, how he's dealing with the people, how he's going to use that people and be faithful to them, even though they go astray, he is going to be faithful to his promise to through them bring salvation and blessing to all nations. That's the backdrop of Obadiah. And we get this little tiny sliver, but all the elements are there. We can see the story of Israel, but we can see the story of the world, that the story of Israel is just even a microcosm of story of God's relationship with humanity. Amen? Amen? All right, so we're going to come to the table. And I think what I want us to, to meditate on as we come to the table is uh, how the judgment of God came into the world in the person of Jesus first by confronting the power and the wisdom of men with the foolishness and the weakness of the cross, right? God said, we are going to confront all of this, but first it has to do its worst work. Let it happen. And then I will rise. And then I will ascend to the right hand of the Father. And now all nations know. How does God oppose the proud? Well, he has a people. He has a people right here in Revelation. It's the martyrs. It's those who have laid down their lives. It's those who have been faithful unto death. That's still how he is reaching the nations. By gathering a people together, bringing them to the end of themselves, sending them out to the ends of the earth with the foolishness and the weakness of the the cross. He is bringing judgment into the earth through a people who is laying down their lives. Remember what Jesus said? In Matthew, uh, sorry, this just came here. I need to figure out where it is. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. There's a message here for both Israel and Edom. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. What does that make us? Brothers. So that you may be brothers and related in the way that you should. For he makes the sun rise on the evil. And on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? That is, the nations? But you're different. We don't just operate in the way that the nations operate. We operate as sons of the Father. You therefore must be perfect as your Father, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So, Jesus, in giving up His body and allowing His blood to be shed, loved us in the way that He wants us to love one another while we were yet sinners, while He had every right. To reject us. He doesn't love us because of what was in us before. He loves us because that's what love is. He doesn't love us for what he can get out of us. He loves us because that's who he is. And he knows that what's in us, he knew that what was in man would kill him. But that was what was necessary in order to show the world who he really is, but to show the world, and this is the key. This is the key to Obadiah. To show the world who they really are. You're not one side of a feud. You are a son of God. The sons of God do not rise up against each other and kill each other. The sons of God laid down their lives, even if there's nothing in return. That's what the nations always needed to see. And that's what God calls us to show the nations. What did Cain say? God said, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Must have broken God's heart. Because the answer is yes. Yes. When we, when we separate ourselves from one another, we've gone astray for the whole purpose for which we were created. And so God wants a people who love sacrificially, who lay down their lives, who follow his example in loving one another. And that's what the nations need to see because that's who they were created to be.